So um, our second reading today is from the first chapter of Mark, Mark 1, and it's verses 29 to 39. Uh, If you haven't already, you can find that on page uh, 1003 in the Bibles, and it's also on the screen. So from verse 29, as soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they immediately told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand, and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. That evening, after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all who were ill and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so that I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. Thank you. It would be a great help to me if you could keep the Bibles open on page 1003 for that reading from Mark. Well, I'm guessing quite a few people here have had that experience of a long journey in a car with young children. And it's not long, usually, before there comes the inevitable question, are we nearly there? How much longer do I have to wait? which I think parents answer with a certain degree of um, stretching of the truth sometimes. We're nearly there. Well, today is the first day of Advent, uh, and Advent is all about looking forward in anticipation, Uh, looking forward to the coming of Christ at that very first Christmas, looking forward to the return of Christ at the second coming. So a couple of uh, weeks ago, my wife Helen was uh, looking after our granddaughter, Kessia, and they were talking about Christmas, and she said, uh, Helen said to Kessia, it's only a few weeks till Christmas now, Kessia responded, Grandma, it's 37 days. So Helen said, uh, did your teacher tell you that? She said, no, no, I counted it on my calendar. <laughs> and I, I love that sense of anticipation that comes in Advent, that countdown to Christmas. And I love those Advent candles. If you've got one, you should light it today, of course, where you burn down one little segment for each day before Christmas. Uh, It's a very appropriate thing because it reminds us that Jesus said, I am the light of the world. I love Advent calendars. Um, They're even better nowadays because when you open the door, you don't just get a verse, you get a, (laughs) a little chocolate as well. Well, Advent is about looking forward. And as we've said, it's not just looking forward to that birth of the baby Jesus 2,000 years ago in a stable. 
Although I should say, that is amazing enough. And I think we sometimes forget in the rush of Christmas just how amazing it is that God the Creator, God who made the whole universe, took on the form of a little baby and came to us. And that baby, just like us, needed loving and nurturing as he grew up. Uh, Just like us, he needed to be fed and washed and have his bottom wiped. But he was also truly God. And that is astonishing, isn't it, to think about it. Advent's about anticipation, about looking forward. I'm just going to do something we don't normally do in sermons. I'm just going to pause for a minute, and I wonder if you could turn to your neighbour, and if you'd like to do so, just share with with each other what, at this moment, today, what are you anticipating the most? What are you looking forward to the most? Well, I'll just give you one minute to do that, if you want to. Well, it's great to hear the buzz of, uh, I'm sorry to stop you, really, but um, there will be time over coffee in the North Building, so to carry on with that. And I want you to hold those thoughts in your head for a while, because we'll come back to it. What do we anticipate the most? Well, for Christians, on this side of the cross, Advent is, as we said, it's also an opportunity to look forward to that time when Jesus will return again when he's going to bring the kingdom of God in all its glory and its fullness down to earth here, when this broken earth will finally be renewed, and as we read in Revelation, there'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, isn't that something to look forward to with even more anticipation than Christmas? And we're meant to, in this life, feel that sense of longing and hope for the return of Jesus, which that brings with it. So this first chapter of Mark's Gospel, which we've got in front of us today, I think it's a really good reading for Advent Sunday, although, of course, it's just where we've got to, going through Mark, although I'm no doubt our rector planned it this way. (laughs) Actually, Mark doesn't mention the birth of Jesus at all. He just leaps right into his ministry. Um, But everything that Jesus was doing throughout that Gospel is pointing pointing us to the kingdom of God in what Jesus did to make that second coming possible. If you just look with me back at verse 15 of chapter 1, Jesus started his ministry by proclaiming the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. And the kingdom of God is a really important part of the message of the Bible. It's mentioned nearly a hundred times in the Bible, so we should take it 
seriously. What is it about? What is the kingdom of God? Uh, well, some of you who have children thinking about it today can talk about it over lunch. But we're going to see what the kingdom of God is like in a nutshell in the verses 29 to 39 that we're looking at today. Uh, and what he did in those verses, he repeatedly did throughout his ministry. And it seems to me that in our little section we've got today, there's just two very simple sort of aspects to it. In the first half, 29 to 34, we see Jesus healing the sick, uh, demonstrating his power over evil by casting out demons. That's a sign of the kingdom of God, of God's power over all that's wrong in this world. And then in the second half, 35 to 39, we see Jesus praying to his Father in heaven and then going on to spread his message throughout the whole region. That's a sign of the kingdom of God coming near to everyone and ultimately, of course, to Gentiles and to ourselves as well. So let's look at it in a bit more detail. Um, Healing the sick is what comes first. I'll read that in verses 29 to 31. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they immediately told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand, and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. Well, do you notice here, there's a couple of points you can see here, how Jesus had immediate personal contact with Simon's mother-in-law. He took her hand. He took her hand and helped her up. And actually, that's a hallmark of almost all of Jesus' healing reports in the Bible, that he had a personal relationship, even if it was only for that moment, with those he healed. And actually, that's something, I think, that modern medicine recognizes as well, that we're not just machines that are broken down and we just need things fixing in them. Uh, We also have needs which are psychological and mental and spiritual, and our relationships matter. They're all equally important parts of the healing process. So that's the first thing. second thing to notice is that once the fever had left Simon's mother-in-law, she began to serve them, uh, presumably an evening meal, as any good host or hostess would want to when they've got guests come. And, you know, I think this little point must be significant because this is mentioned, this episode is mentioned three times in three different Gospels, and every time they make this point that she got up and served them. So I think it must mean that we are healed, we're given strength to do things, we're given abilities so that we can use them for other people. In this case, it was for Jesus and the group of apostles with him. But we're not meant to be made comfortable in this world and feeling well just to sit in an armchair and watch whatever our favorite program is, the football or Strictly Come Dancing or whatever. Um, We're meant to use those gifts and our health and our abilities to serve God and for the sake of others. It's just what Jesus did throughout his life. So this healing and the other ones that Jesus did, they display in a very graphic and obvious way Um, what the kingdom of God is that Jesus was bringing near. And in the new creation, when God's kingdom is brought fully to earth, there won't be any more disease or suffering. 
So Jesus is showing his power over all of creation. And after all, it was all created through him. Um, And of course, he's also acting out of love and compassion for those who are broken in body or spirit that he comes across uh, in his life. I want to just pause. That's what we read about there, but it's not just true for 2,000 years ago. I want to say a little bit about medicine today because we all know people who are ill. Some of us amongst us are ill. We pray for the sick as we just have done in every service. And it's part of the brokenness of this world that people do get sick and diseases and get ill. And I strongly believe that it's part of God's grace to us that he's given us a world in which physical processes are understandable by science and medicine. So we can develop ways of treating illness and defeating it. Now, not all illnesses can be treated, but many can. And I know there's people in our fellowship today who are only alive today because of medicine. Otherwise, they would have been dead already. And most of us do live longer and healthier lives. Now, I think all of that is part of God's grace to us, part of his goodness to us, that he's given us a world where we can do that sort of thing uh, for the sake of others. Now, I don't in any way want to minimize the suffering of those who can't be made better by medicine. And indeed, there's many examples in the Bible of such people, including um, the Apostle Paul, who wasn't healed of some infirmity. We're not told what it was. But I think even in those circumstances, we can have the assurance that we're loved by God. And we can know that Jesus knows more about suffering than we could ever imagine going through ourselves. Now, that's been a huge solace to believers down through the generations. And we know, too, that God can and he does bring healing to more than just physical infirmities. And in God's grace, miracles of healing occur today. So let's go back to our passage 2,000 years ago. Uh, Simon's mother-in-law was the first reported instance of Jesus healing illness. And we now find him doing it for many, many others. So uh, just look down at verse 32, and I'll read the next three verses. That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Well, news travels fast in a small town like Capernaum. It was a Sabbath, uh, and after all the church services were over, everyone gathered at Jesus' door to be healed. And this time there's something extra we learn. Jesus wasn't just healing those with physical illnesses, but also the demon-possessed. Now, we don't know what form that demon possession took, because we're not told. But what we can say is that demon possession is a result of evil getting right inside people. It's about Satan insinuating himself into people and wrecking their lives. So as Jesus was casting out demons from people, he was showing that he had power not only over the physical world for healing diseases, 
but also over evil. He had power over Satan himself. And that's another example of the kingdom of God drawing near. Now, Jesus defeated Satan time after time through the Gospels, through his ministry, we read. Um, But Jesus defeated Satan for all time on the cross. So there won't even be a trace of evil in the new creation when Christ returns. It will be gone forever. And I think this is what we're meant to take from this passage, that Jesus was sovereign over the physical world. He was sovereign over evil itself, completely sovereign over it. Well, we still have to live in this beautiful but broken world, don't we? That's why we're here still until the second coming. It's marred by human sin. And Jesus himself still had three years of ministry ahead of him before the cross. So in the second part of this um, reading, we read about how Jesus did that. So let me read, if you look down at verse 35, read the next little bit. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. Well, I think there's a very striking lesson for us here. Jesus was fully God as well as fully man. Yet even he needed to get away and pray to his father, God. Often, as here, he would go somewhere quiet on his own. And I think the application to us is pretty obvious, isn't it? If even Jesus needed to make time to pray to God, how much more must we need to do that? I want to say that, speaking personally, it's not easy to do that. I'm not a morning person, for sure, and it's not easy to get up and do things. Jesus took time in the late evening or in the early morning to do this. He was meeting people the whole of the rest of the time. And you get that sense of the pressure on him, don't you? All the town gathering together. And elsewhere, we read about when he did healings, there was power going out for him. So I'm guessing it was pretty exhausting for Jesus, the man, doing this. And yet still he made the effort to get up while it was still dark to spend time with his father. And I think there's a very clear lesson for us there. Well, when his friends finally found him, found Jesus, no doubt they urged him to go back uh, to all those crowds looking for him in Capernaum. Uh, You can imagine them saying, can't you? Look at all the work you could do there. Look at the headlines you'll get in the papers. Look at the um, sound bites on the evening television news. What a great photo opportunity. Why don't you do that? Those people need you. Uh, But as always, Jesus was in the lead. He was deciding what to do. He wasn't being forced by circumstances. And his motive wasn't popularity. So in the very last couple of verses, we read about that. If you look down at 38... Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. So the purpose of Jesus, as he said in the very first words we have recorded, was to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God. And he did that by going throughout that whole region. 
He was preaching and showing his sovereignty over evil and sovereignty over this physical world, showing God's compassion in those endless interactions with people that he met along the way. So as we come to the end, let me uh, take us back to that first question and ask you again, what do you anticipate most as we start this Advent season? Now, what would you anticipate the most if you stripped away all those lists of jobs that need to be done before Christmas, the presents to be bought, um, the travel arrangements to make, the food you have to buy, the in-laws you have to visit... What's your greatest hope? What about if we stripped away all those routine things that we deal with every day, our jobs and our homes and our cars and our gardens if we've got them and our family, the next holiday if we're fortunate enough to be planning one. Strip away those and what do we hope for most when we get to the very core of who we are? What's the deepest thing that we care about most of all as we journey in faith. And I think that as we remember and celebrate that first Christmas, now is a good time at Advent to step back and remember that second coming when Jesus will return and all the fullness of God will be revealed, when earth itself will be renewed. And I think that's a good time to think about what really, really, really matters to us at the core of our being. Because when we live here in this new creation, we'll know what it's like to live it in the way God intended it to be, stripped of all evil and suffering and pain. And there won't be any more terrorist attacks there. All the injustices will be redeemed all the brokenness and suffering will be healed and isn't that an amazing thing for us to hold on to to hope for to live for uh, to know that that's the ultimate purpose if we've put our trust in Christ it's our ultimate home if that's the case and it's something to be deeply grateful for in the midst of this troubled world and we see a glimpse of that new creation in that ministry of Jesus when he walked on earth. The kingdom of God has already touched earth with him. He showed it to us. But until we get that in all its fullness, while we're waiting and longing, we're called to live and work in that full knowledge that this will be the case. This is going to happen. And so we should live and work to reconcile the world and to heal some of the brokenness we see around us at the moment. If I can just give a little sort of silly illustration. It's a bit like the Christmas presents that will soon be appearing under Christmas trees. And hopefully there'll be one specially for you. And whoever put it there will have chosen something just right for us with love and care. And we know it's there. It's certain. We can see it. It's a freely given gift but we have to wait until Christmas to open it. And that's a little bit like the state we live in now. We know the kingdom of God is there. We've seen it. It will be there in all its fullness. And we wait until that day. So we should wait and work and long with anticipation for that day 
when Christ will return in all his glory for all time. So as we end, I'm going to read again just a section of that first reading that we had from the Old Testament, because this is one that Jesus himself in the synagogue said, this applies to me, this Old Testament prophecy is what I'm about. So let me read it as a prayer as we end. What Jesus read was this, I have come to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, that you have done all this and that you invite us and welcome us into your kingdom. Amen.